Films and teams and things and film. Films and teams and things and film. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Films and Tings. Thanks again for following us. I really appreciate the support. A uh, fun little fact, before I was even applying for college, I wanted to be a radio show host, and then I finally figured out my dream career is directing, and now look at me. I started Films and Tings, and I'm basically coming back full circle, so that's kind of funny. The truth is, I do feel weird about talking about myself, and I am working on that. I'm going to work on divulging more information about myself as these shows go on. Anyway, I have several pieces that I'm proud of on my website that are for your viewing. Some other works on my website, uh, which you can definitely go to my Instagram to get, are Values, Mental, Sunday, just a few to mention, and I would love to have any of you view them and tell me what you think. My most recent and acclaimed short film has won two festivals, and it is titled Tuskegee, it can be found on IMDb, not to watch, unfortunately, and it is a historical thriller based on true events from the Tuskegee syphilis study beginning in the early 30s. It sheds light on the already terrifying truth and manifests into a fictional but highly intended narrative story. I directed and co-wrote this short movie. I had an amazing crew, an amazing cast, and I thank them so much to watch Tuskegee and my other films, please visit my website, which you may find on my photography Instagram at pics underscore by underscore SK underscore. Again, my Instagram is at pics, P-I-C-S underscore by underscore SK underscore. I know that's a lot. <laughs> So today's episode, we will be discussing a few favorites from one of my favorite directors, Spike Lee, including films such as Malcolm X, Crooklyn, and Black Klansman. Today we have a special guest. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Melanin Behind the Lens production company. She's a producer, cinematographer, director, and screenwriter. She's a best-selling author and army veteran, Please welcome Ms. Sophia L. Ellis. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today on Films and Tings. No, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to do these podcasts. It's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. And first, I would just like to thank you for your service. Oh, thank you for your support. I keep forgetting I was in the military. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, thank you for you guys' support. Honestly, if it wasn't for like the support of, you know, family, friends, and the community, I don't even see how I would have made it past basic training. So thank yeah. you guys for always supporting um, the soldiers and the veterans. It means a lot. Of course, of course. We, we know that you guys do a lot. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your background, your beginnings, and just what overall inspired you to be a filmmaker. Oh, wow. Let's see. My background actually was the complete opposite of what I'm doing now. When I was in school, I actually wanted to be a, a cosmetic surgeon. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I know, right? 360, yeah. <laughs> or 180 rather. Um, I uh, went to biology class. I saw blood and we had to gut or dissect a squid and that was it for me. So, but I always noticed I was like into business. And then maybe about eight-ish years ago, I became uh, real passionate about one of my projects, which is Trey, which is a children's book series that I have. So I had an idea. I was like, yeah, hey, I'm gonna sell it to Nickelodeon and um, a mentor, a book literacy agent was like, first, you need to make it into a book and make it a household name. I was like, Ugh, okay. So then I learned how to, you know, write books, how to publish books. And I ended up publishing uh, three of the books of the trade series and then three other books as well. So I have a total of six published books. And then wow. um, my novel, My King Looks Like Me, which is with the production part, thank God, <laughs> is now in the editing phase on um, my feature. Um, I wrote the book and I put it on Amazon and all of the Amazon comments was like, this should be a film. This should be a film. And I was like, seriously? So me being me, I was like, hmm, let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked up um, how to like write a script and then I just immediately became so passionate and I just dove into the film industry world like from the directing from the acting from the setup that like everything the pre-production the green light the marketing i just became so consumed with it that i was like constantly reading books and i was like you know what i'm just going to go to school for digital cinematography so i can at least get my degree so people know that i'm serious because i know some people's done this for like 10 years and you know for me to come up on the scene it's like hey <laughs> i know they're like you know you have to pay you have to you know pay work for it yeah so i went to school i got <laughs> i got my associate's degree and man i could tell i'm in i'm where i'm supposed to be because everything is just for the last two three years has just been flowing so gracefully in this film industry don't get me wrong I have hiccups but for the most part it's been amazing so I cannot complain that's awesome that's amazing you have I would love to take a look at your books that's really great what really so what would you say is your main I guess your main role that you like to play on set or behind the scenes uh, you say I definitely like the cinematography, um, which is such an underrated position. It really, and it kind of burns my britches. I mean, not burn my britches, but you know, it kind of like heats me up a little bit because um, yes, the director is very important. The director directs, but the angles that you see on film, that's the cinematographer's vision. Mm -hmm. Like what you see a certain, you know, shot, like a close-up, an extreme close-up. That close-up shot could make a reaction in the audience because that's what that shot is built for. Mm -hmm. So it's like a cinematographer is one that who can really make an audience cry. So um, it's such an underrated job. It really, really is. And maybe one day we'll get the recognition, but until then I'm, I've, I'd rather do cinematography. I like to direct as well, but um, cinematography is my, yeah, it's my favorite. People don't realize how uh, how married the director and the DP are, or sorry, the director of photography slash cinematographer. For those of you who are not familiar with the term, but yeah, that's uh, that relationship is you got to be tight. You definitely have to be on the same wavelength, and like you said, like it's a very it's a working relationship to get the to get the same artistry across in a fluid design. Oh, yes, definitely. I've worked with a, for the most part, I've normally uh, filmed, produced, edit my own 
uh, work because I love writing. I literally have like 24 scripts. It's ridiculous. Wow. I know, right? Two, three years, 24 scripts. And I, and I had an idea last night. I was like, oh, I need to write it down. It's just silly. <laughs> but I normally write and produce my own. But um, for the projects that people do hire me on as a cinematographer or a DP, and I get to work with another director, it just expands my, um, my workship, <laughs> I guess you would yeah. say. Yeah, your knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. Yeah, with, mm -hmm. with other people. So, um yeah, I I love doing whether whether it's with my business partner who just mainly does directing and producing, or if it's with someone else that just hires me to be uh, the DP. Is I love oh that relationship has got to work because yeah. if not oh yeah oh uh, uh, that's it, a disaster. <laughs> the production, the cast won't give it their authentic acting into it. Like oh, it plays such a big part. Mm -hmm. So. I know today we're speaking about Spike Lee. So tell me a little about what your favorite, <laughs> what's your favorite Spike Lee film and why? Oh, I'm going to have to go with Malcolm X. I know it's very much of a cliche. All the Jews, Malcolm X. No, but, um, I don't think so. But it's Spike Lee captured this, the life of Malcolm X so well that people actually use that as a visual representation of who he really was in real life mm -hmm. and that speaks a lot that speaks volume mm -hmm. um like the research he put into it the location choices um the oh my gosh it's just it's lengthy it's, it's lengthy it but i will sit through that movie and watch it <laughs> yeah and i finally uh, and we're i don't want to sorry no, no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say too much about it because I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But I, yeah, it's that. That's a good favorite to have. I, I know it took me a long time to finally get to watch it. When I did, I was like, this was amazing. It was just right. <laughs> it was beautiful and beautiful and terrible all in one. It was just right. Yeah. So we're gonna save uh, that. We're gonna save that. Yeah. We're gonna save that. <laughs> Okay, 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 we're gonna save it. Okay, we're gonna save it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I know, I know, we're gonna <laughs> dig into it. We're gonna dig in. Um, last thing, I just want to know a little bit more about you, Sophia. You know, um, so what are some of your future plans that you can, you know, let us in on or anything that you can tell us about? Oh, man, this pandemic has definitely hit me hard because I know in ninth in 2019 I was like 2020 I'm gonna travel I'm gonna produce films and that's it and then March you're like pandemic you can't do anything I was like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the same energy I have for going into 2020 is pretty much the same thing I have for 2021 um I have a multiple of um short films that I have written so I'm going to see if I can produce at least three of them three to four of them um, the benefit of having your own production company is that you can do that. You just need some actors, <laughs> actors oh, yeah. and actresses. That's so I can really just pick up the camera and start shooting whenever I want to. That's so awesome. um, I have a, I have a suspense. I have two suspense uh, psych uh, thrillers that I want to do because I'm loving the Georgia Peel feel. So I have actually have two of those that I'm doing. Um, my business partner, we decided to go ahead and do her Vigilago uh, film. 
uh, her feature film. And then I have like a couple of comedies and then I am going to finish up the Thanksgiving uh, movie that I have that hopefully I can shoot and be able to premiere it Thanksgiving of next year. So, (laughs) and I'm still working on turning my book into an animation. I did have an animator, but um, it didn't work out so well. So I have actually reached out to a traditional publishing company and fingers crossed, we'll see if they'll pick up the idea because if they pick up the idea, then it'll be on like Netflix and Hulu so I'm so excited that's so amazing excited. it's amazing I know we're definitely gonna have to have some some meetings about uh these shoots and stuff because I know I definitely want to jump on these <laughs> come on I yes. I am the what you see is what you get on set I'm very bubbly I'm very I'm very uh I like to have fun on set because I feel like it makes the day those 12 14 hour days are long oh, yes. but if you're having fun I miss, oh my God, I miss being on set. That's like the one place I feel, oh, just like, I feel like I'm doing something right, you know? Yeah, because you, it's like you're seeing something, you're seeing words. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know. Beautiful. I I get so excited. People say, like, did she just make an, I make like this little, (laughs) (laughs) and my cast be like, why is she making that noise? I'm like, because that was just beautiful. And they have no clue what I'm talking about. They're like, whatever. Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. They don't need to know. They just need to know they did good. (laughs) So this section, we are going to jump into Spike Lee movies. Yay! I know you've been waiting to jump into this. So yes, yes. I wanted to talk about first um, Spike Lee's style, his spikyism or spikyism. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't know if, which yeah. is crazy because that's a real word it is it is i was like i wonder if they added that to the dictionary um for those of you who are not familiar right. with spike lee films uh he uses these very um specific styles in his films that include slow zooms breaking the fourth wall the double dolly shot that creates the illusion that the character is floating towards us and tight frames so if you have seen a lot of his movies, you probably noticed it. These are all really intentional. So what do you think about these, Sophia? Oh my, so I guess I should have known years ago that I was gonna be a cinematographer because that that's the first thing I noticed in Malcolm X's <laughs> film mm-hmm. was the first big one of that film, showed you how much of a film nerd I am, is the continuous shot at the beginning. The shot where it goes from the sky down to Harlem streets. Mm -hmm. It goes off into the streets, goes all the way into uh, Spike Lee and Malcolm X or Denzel Washington getting their shoe sign and then coming all the way back through the crowd. Like no one notices. That is one continuous shot that went from off the crane to being a handheld. <laughs> like I'm like, who thinks to do something like this? That's but crazy. Those shots, those shots, and he's so infamous. Like you know, we learn about high, low dolly shots, but yeah. he uses them faithfully mm-hmm. in his films, especially the high, low shots. His movies yes. are the ones that taught me that high angle means um, high angle means the authority, and low lang- mm-hmm. angle means submissive. Like. His films is the one that taught that. And we're not even, like the audience don't even notice what's going on because you have to understand the shot. But yeah. because he does it so smoothly, it it pulls in the audience instantly. Like, oh my gosh, I love it. 
but I, like I, even, I attempted to do the dolly shot the dolly uh, zoom shot <laughs> It's not easy. It's not easy. And I mean, yes, it's not, it may not, and it may not be like, it may not be obvious to the naked eye or just to the average watcher, but he gets his point across so well, like you said, you may not need to know, you may not even notice that he's doing these things, but you get exactly what he's trying to relay that, oh, this character is a high, it's a high importance, or this character is like feeling chummy or is a coward or something like that and um mm -hmm. yeah those those are really important to helping the story and the plot oh yeah oh yeah his cinematographer um ernest dickerson is a cinematographer for um malcolm x film and pretty much almost all of his films <laughs> okay. yeah but um if you ever watch They Gotta Have Us on Netflix, it highlights all the black cinematographers and, um, I mean, not but black filmmakers from like, you know, Sidney Poitier, Dorothy Dandridge, Spike Lee, John Singleton. So mm -hmm. um, he he speaks on like filming that that film. And I was like, whoa, like the the description that he uses of working with, the takes, what they had to do to get the shots in Malcolm X. Um, like the accuracy, because everything in that movie was absolutely true. So, oh, and and don't get me wrong, it's Hollywood, so of course they have to do some things for dramatics, but it for was, the most part, mm -hmm. oh, it was oh. like almost exact. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was it was crazy. And you said John Singleton, right? Uh, that was, that's the director of Boys in the Hood, right? Yes. I yes. didn't realize it, but um, I actually volunteered. A while back for one of Austin Film Festival's like you know how we you know how we do us filmmakers always trying to watch movies for free <laughs> but um, right <laughs> I got I went to his talk and I didn't even know that they put me on the schedule for his talk and I was so hype I was in the front row because I was the I was keeping time for the the moderator and I got to listen to John Singleton and I almost I almost cried I was just like oh my god oh is this real <laughs> went to the heavens yes i was just oh, like well, he's right in front of me talking about this <laughs> i was kind of like trying to snap the picture like shit, 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 shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh rest in peace of him yes yes oh jeez yes. the films he produced but this is all about spike lee yes oh, and i also wanted to talk about how spike lee uses sound design in his films and how he brings together or just how he marries the images to the soundtracks that he chooses are just it's just very intentional and very it's it's just like fine wine it's so it's perfect it's perfect for the scenes so i took um spike lee's independent filmmaker masterclass um it's actually called masterclass and they have you know different things from interior design to filmmaking to negotiations mm -hmm. so i took his class and he when he says when he says how um how he became a filmmaker and and like the budget that he had and honestly the original reason why he's in most of his films is he's like why will i pay another uh, person to do something that i can do as well i could just pay back myself and get those credits for it mm -hmm. and he describes that 
he has always been in love with jazz. Like he's like, he's mm-hmm. in love with the 30, 40s jazz. He, he just loved it so much. And he loved the art of dancing as well. So when he came up with like school days and, um, uh, the she's got to have it, and those all incorporate, you know, the jazz and more better blues. Like I can go on mm. forever. But- yes, yes, no, you can. I sound like a nerd. I sound so like a nerd. But he, um, like he likes to use music to portray because that's something that uh, black felt for one black filmmakers wasn't doing, and he wants to think outside the box. And he just said, "I love it," so I just put it in my films. It's as simple as that. And I was like, "Why can't most people do that?" Like we all. I had to think, oh my God, if I do this, they're not going to like it. But he was just like, I like it. Y'all loved it. So, <laughs> and this yeah. is likely 30 years from now, still killing it in the film industry. You know? It's just, yeah, it just brings that like essence of realness to his, to his films. You feel like you're in it. You're in, and then there's a grittiness mm-hmm. to it as well that I just love. And I love jazz as well. So I was just like, I picked up on it and I didn't know, cause I'm, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And he, I didn't know that he was from Georgia. Um, he lived in Georgia for like two years or something as a child and grew up in Brooklyn too. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know he was originally from Georgia. And I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about this powerful opening for Malcolm X. What was the opening? That opening was the, um, the speech and the images that flashed over the scene with the burning X. Yeah. Whoever decided to do that opening knew exactly, they knew they had to do a powerful opening for Malcolm X himself is still to this day, a powerful icon in Mm -hmm. the um, community. I'm not just going to say black, but. No, hell yeah, for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So he is such, so that opening was just, it put, honestly, it puts me back into a place where I'm happy I didn't have to experience that, but I'm also proud because who one of my ancestors not only experienced it, lived through it, made it through in order for me to be here. So it's like, oh. <laughs> no, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, and then it was also going on um, right after the LA riots and he struggled with uh, the funding for this movie. He even put, mm-hmm. I think he put like a million in to fund it as well out of his own pocket. And that's just crazy. Wow. He, he actually reached out to um, black filmmakers, influencers in the community and basically like pulled together to get this into production, which is, it's powerful and insane because apparently like uh, the studio was stopping him from adding more because it was such an epic. Uh, we all knew he wanted to really try to fit this epic man's life into a movie. And he, he didn't think that a one and a half, two hour movie would do it justice. And, mm-hmm. and that was, I mean, that, that was a feat in itself. And then even just having to fund the movie. Well, yeah, I did. And honestly, if I would, oh, let me see if I can remember. I think that movie was like a, seven million dollar budget or five it was for hollywood they said that was and it was still considered a low budget film i was like seriously (laughs) it was still considered a low budget film because uh it didn't worth as much it didn't cost as much to make as the it would normal hollywood movies but i mean the head hitters he had in that film uh angela bassett denzel washington himself 
Um, and I noticed he do like to use the same. One thing I like about him is that he does carry his actors with him. Denzel Washington is also played in his uh, Mo Better Blues. Um, the the dad from Crooklyn also played in Malcolm X. He he has the tendency to just take them with. He's like, if it's not broke, then don't fix it. <laughs> but um, at hit that Malcolm X film was so powerful. It and if people watch it and don't feel nothing from it, it's like you. Where are you? What are you doing? Where are you at? <laughs> like, why, why? Why didn't you just feel that moment? It's like to see one of our icons actually see how he passed away, um, or assassinated, murdered. It's just a very. Is his he hit the nail, and for him to do that so early in his career, it was a big stepping stone. It was like huge for him. No, it was definitely a very ambitious film, and I feel like I get told that a lot for things that I want to work on, and I just look at this movie, and I'm like, well, shit, if Spike can do it, I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Every time I look at film, but you know what? Filming was so different. Independent filmmaking was so different back then, like, you know, back then, you it didn't cost as much to get location permits. It didn't cost that much to pay actors. It was, um, some celebrities was easier access than they are now. Like, it, the filmmaking was just so different that I feel like, honestly, we're at more of a disadvantage <laughs> than they was back then. Because how they just like, hey, I got a script, you wanna read? They read, and then it gets greenlit us we have to you know build money have this get crowdfunding we're competing yep. with now everyone else who's like oh i can be a filmmaker too so now we're competing with the masses of people that wants to control the narrative of their stories and it's just like oh my gosh I'm, to mention. I turn to this return to that yep. <laughs> I feel, yeah it does feel like you had a, a rush to try to get that get your best idea out so that way you can be the next Spike Lee. Yeah, and I mean, that's not even to mention how difficult it is for Black female artists out here. It's like, it's like one other step. It's already tough in this industry. Uh, It's so, so, we are 1%. We are 1% of the female um, directors of the film industry is only 1%. Wow. Yeah. It definitely needs to change. (laughs) Definitely needs to change. Yeah, and I think the only way it's going to change is if we, like us as independent filmmakers, um, if we take the initiative to go out in partnership with people, build more films, like the same thing that the males are doing, we can, we can do it. I think that's why I love the cinematography part and the fact that I do have my own company is because the only thing I really outsource is a sound person because no one wants to do sound. So, <laughs> but other than that, I can control what I write. I can control who I market it to. You know, it's 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 yeah. a it's a great advantage. And then you can teach other people like you got great directing skills. You should be a director. And then they then hone in. We just have to we just have to control our own narrative. That's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course. And then I just wanted to go over uh, Crooklyn and Black Klansmen before I have to let you go. So, so Crooklyn, um, first, what did you think to me? Because I know I have a very personal connection to it. (laughs) Uh, 
So I, I know you was raised in Brooklyn. I was raised in Queens. So the oh. streets of Queens wasn't really like that. But it does, it, it helped me to chime in back to my childhood, like the innocence mm-hmm. of childhood. And, you know, in our household, something big with fighting with your family members was big, but it was just so, it brought, it brought it together. Uh, yes. So... I did watch the movie like back in the day because I think I told you I was like oh, I don't think I watched this before but I, I do remember me watched it when I watched it again I said like, oh I remember this why how could I forget it but it is definitely the the black family it's not a stereotypical black family but it's the most relatable mm-hmm. black family there portrayal that he yeah. did in that movie um I love that he showed the difference between going down south and staying up north. I loved how he portrayed that and the different lifestyles. The people that's on the block, the different, it was just, it felt like home. Like, it just felt like I was at home. (laughs) Yeah, no, really. That's exactly what it felt like. And I think that was completely his intention, especially for those of us who are from the city and uh Kirkland to me was so raw and so right I loved it and yeah I grew up in Brooklyn myself in Canarsie so not necessarily that area but just growing up as a young black or a mixed black girl it was rough and you kind of grow up fast I mean you see those you saw those little bits of grit that he had in there and you do have to grow up pretty fast being from the city like that and that movie always hit me in soft spots that I related to personally but he he did, he did a great, like, he did so well in showing how this family is together organically. Like, it seemed so organic. It didn't even seem scripted. And it was, it was casted so well. And like you said, the same actors, um, who, the father who plays in Crooklyn, the mother, uh, just their whole relationship and relations in that movie was so real. It definitely makes you feel like you've, you're touching back to your roots. And that's why it's definitely a, it's considered a semi-auto, autobiographical film. Mm, I like how you said that. Yeah. Spike Lee is so good with telling stories um, that many are afraid to touch to on and tell. Yeah. You know, because um, we're so afraid of, oh my gosh, if we show this, how will they see now the back family? You know, exactly. it's, it's just always so much behind it. But I love the fact that he just, took a whim and was just like bump it I'm going to tell a story about how it is to live in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. and sitting on the stoop Stoop. playing hot Mm -hmm. hopscotch the ice cream truck you know the crackheads that's always trying to hit you up for a dollar Mm -hmm. when you walk past them Mm -hmm. like (laughs) it's just it's the authenticity in that film will hit for a lot of people, which is why I think Crooklyn was such a huge success. Yeah. Because many people look at that film as like, oh my God, that's my family. <laughs> like, it, like it almost, like, that's uncle. exactly. It almost feels like a documentary. Like he definitely, I feel like Spike Lee definitely brings a lot of documentarian um, techniques uh, in terms mm-hmm. of filming techniques into all of his movies. And it makes it, it makes it feel raw and real in a good way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he's that he is a storyteller. Even in Malcolm X, he um he I know he's he's telling a real story about someone's life, but he also kept back as well to say to tell the story about Malcolm X's 
family and yeah. the fact that you know his mom is aligned his dad you know what i'm saying like he yeah. still had to tell that part of the story in order for us to understand who malcolm x was as a person so mm-hmm. um i love his storytelling me too it's, me too it's oh, yeah and uh <sighs> black clansmen so this was like other than uh the <laughs> five bloods i love the five bloods but we're not going to talk about the today um, we're going to talk about black clansmen and that mm-hmm. came out like about two years ago and I felt that it shook the film world when it came out. I was super hyped to see it. I was like, yes, Denzel Washington's son is in it. Ooh, let's see what he brings to the table and just the actors they had in it. I was super into the idea and I loved how it was uh, contemporary and equally historically accurate with, mm-hmm. you know, and I loved mm-hmm. how, um, I loved I just love the storytelling in that movie, just the different way of how they were showing a Black story being told in that time. And also just, I really broke down at the end with the archival footage from the riots. Mm-hmm. Um, so just tell me what you thought about Black Klansmen when it, when you first watched it. So you're gonna probably think I'm evil. I thought the movie was so funny. <laughs> no, it, it's, I think it I is funny. It was funny. It is. Yeah, it's hilarious to me. And I only say that because one point in time I was stationed in Colorado and I've been to Colorado Springs on multiple occasions. So for for him to come into Colorado Springs Police Department and say that automatically, I was like, oh, this is going to be so funny. And the fact that uh, he was telling the story about what it would be like for a Black person to infiltrate on such a quote-unquote powerful white group Mm -hmm. and then it's such a simile for for when the white people always infiltrates into the black culture so it was kind of i don't know if anybody else caught that which is probably why i ruffled some feathers Uh, Uh like oh well how do you feel when you do this and blah 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 oh you felt violated well how do you think we've been feeling for the last couple of centuries you you know what i'm saying so exactly um, i absolutely love that i love the um harry belafonte um oh I'm so happy he was able to get, am I saying the right person? Yeah, Sidney Courtney did. <laughs> and how he told the story about the young boy that was, you know, lynched. And I was just like, even in the time, even in the time of that movie where it's supposed to be like kind of comedic, but still telling the story, you was able to still fit a historical story that's so important to mm-hmm. our culture. Mm-hmm. And it I think it's so important. And I definitely think the comedy is divisive in the storytelling. I don't think it's it's not just there for, for shits and giggles. Um, I think, and I feel like you mm-hmm. picked up on this too. But the I think the comedy definitely plays on the whole absurdity of the racism that Black people are experiencing. Just even him being a Black police officer and just being in that town. Uh, the the comedy is kind of like addressing like how ridiculous it is to be treating people just because they're different, just because Mm -hmm. we seem different or look different and we're treated less than. And I think that's, it's big on Spike's part pointing out like, look at this, like, of course, of course this is funny because hear hear them talk about this, hear them talk about Mm -hmm. segregation and, uh, and racism and how ridiculous the stems are from it. Right, 
Right, because and every time I look back, I was like, why didn't somebody just do something? Y'all know y'all was outnumbered every time. But then again, you know, when you're mold to think a certain type of way, you know of no other way. You mm -hmm. only know of this way. So I um, also liked in the film that he not only did it from a Black perspective, but the white character who was a Jew yeah, also had, um, you know, because KKK doesn't like Jews either. So <laughs> it's also was like, okay, even though they looked exactly like him, he was a white man, they will still shun him as well just because he's a Jew. Yeah. So I love the fact that he told that story yeah. as well. Because I know sometimes everyone always thinks the oppression is just towards, you know, the black community, but no, no, it's for um, all there's people of color. Other social classes, yep. yeah. There's so many other social classes that um, have been oppressed. They just, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for all the rest of the class. Like we're gonna tell our story. Like I watched that movie maybe like four. <laughs> don't think I watched it like four times just so, because <laughs> every time I watch it, I I think of something new. Like the fact that. Um, at one point in time, there was an ad for the KKK to join the KKK chapter in the Yeah, newspaper. that's like, And I thought, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this must be just for movies. And then I researched it, of course. No, they used to put ads in the newspaper about joining the KKK. Wow. And, you know, now it goes against that, um, you know, for, as far as, like, recruiting a gang affiliated or whatnot. But back then, it was not considered that. So they was really recruiting people to hate black people yep that's crazy. yeah exactly and just mm -hmm. like front and center visible for all to see which is even more powerful how they show like how how bold they were in their hatred and i think yeah. the movie pulls points it out too and i also thought it was um like you said with uh adam driver's character i think his name was flip in the movie um, mm -hmm. like you said, like, yes, he was Jewish, but I loved how his character grew from the beginning of the movie to the end, how he really didn't think he fit into the whole, uh, racism and, uh, just the oppression of people of color, black people. He thought that, you know, he was separated from that, but as it progressed, he saw really how deep the hate went. And he actually was proud to say like, I'm Jewish and like, this is not right. Um, but I loved how mm -hmm. he, he grew from it saying like, this really doesn't have much to do with me to know this has to do with everybody. Yeah, it affects everybody. And that's one thing that Spike Lee does. Um, most people don't even know, but most of the time he, when he produces or directs or writes, it's, it's a message from multiple uh, calls. It's a multicultural audience film, mm -hmm. but people just think, oh, because it's, this type of film is Spike Lee's doing is black. No, he addresses issues that mm -hmm. you wouldn't even think that would affect colorism, mm -hmm. uh, race, of course, racial racism. tension, yeah, <laughs> racial. And, um, in Crooklyn, I know we've gone back, but to Crooklyn, many people didn't have realized that he is the one that was putting transgender in the film before, um, before anybody, before anybody, yeah. Yeah, he 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 touched on um, uh, pansexualism with uh, she's gotta have it. Like he was the really oh, yeah. the first one. No, he's really all of that. Yeah, he definitely explores like different aspects of being human and not, especially within the black community. I feel like there's so much taboo 
in sexuality and gender that he's been doing this for such a long time that it kind of just like it helps it definitely helps our community to see stuff like this to see what other story we are more than just slaves you get yeah. like our story our culture yes we that did happen but we are more than that era yeah like what happened before that what happened after that what after that yeah right what happened while we was in africa yeah we had a whole story (laughs) like what about some black renaissance that era Mm -hmm. is freaking phenomenal like why don't we start doing something about that what about you know the 80s when the drugs was taking us out but we were still thriving with businesses black businesses and black mm-hmm. families was um owning homes in the 80s like what other story are we going to tell black wall street well before mm-hmm. that was destroyed right well yeah <laughs> yeah but um I, that's one thing i liked about spike lee um none of his films some of his films are the same but they're all different yeah they definitely are a diaspora of everything they are all absolutely different even from the dancing the singing the music and i've noticed with him even though time has involved he has as well he he has learned to involve with the time but he still kept his style true to him yes he didn't let hollywood morph his style into what they thought it should be he still kept his style of directing. And that's one thing I love about it. Yeah, I I give Spike Lee mad respect for all of the work that he's done and just really sticking it to Hollywood in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, And there are just too many fantastic films from Spike Lee. I don't even have enough time to cover a quarter (laughs) of them. Not even a quarter of them I could cover and uh, just have a few uh, recommendations from us from our huge fan Sophia of Spike Lee fans <laughs> um, here are some Spike Lee films you guys need to watch so I know we mel- we mentioned Malcolm X Crooklyn Miracle at Santa Ana is amazing Black Klansman oh, love that movie yes oh my gosh and I love the actor yes. in that movie I didn't even realize he was the same dude from Shaft like he's so diverse in character oh, I didn't wow. even realize that was- yeah um, people's yeah that's him <laughs> oh wow but i'm sorry spike Lee. there you go yes uh black clansman the five bloods she gotta have it he got game do the right thing the list goes on and on and on and please watch them they're amazing they're good for your soul definitely dig into it and i just want to thank you sophia for this amazing talk and your time you were awesome and i can't wait to work with you in the future thank you so so much thank you thank you for having me everyone tune in to this amazing uh filmmaker (laughs) and her podcast because this is nice to talk about films and be comfortable in their environment so thank you for the opportunity for for this platform for me to openly talk like a film nerd (laughs) (laughs) of course that's what we're here for and i i just loved having you on thank you again and um, we're definitely going to have you again in future episodes. So thanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and now it's time for our interesting fact of the day. Did you know that in ancient Greece and Rome, doctors used spider webs to make bandages for their patients? Now, a few days ago, my grandpa actually told me how. His mother had used spider webs on his leg back in Haiti, 
uh, because of a deep cut that he got. And I just thought that was so interesting and I ended up finding a fact about that. So spiderwebs actually have natural antiseptic and antifungal properties, which can help wounds clean and prevent infection. So they're also rich in vitamin K, which also pr helps promote clotting. So, you know, the next time you're out in the wilderness or for whatever reason you don't have band-aids, cobwebs will be your best friend. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Films and Tings. I can't wait for our next episode. Please continue to listen to 24-7 AM radio for a lot of awesome music and shows. Thanks. Films and Tings and Tings and Films Films and Tings